Hi, my name is Hannah Rumsey, and this is my very first episode of my podcast, Friends Missing Friends. Several years ago, when I was in my early 20s, one of my closest friends passed away. And I had no idea how to find a community of people who were around my age who had also lost a friend. So I felt completely alone. Now, six years later, I want to do something about that because I don't want anyone else to feel like they're alone. So in each episode, I will interview a guest and share my experiences and feelings because we need each other. That's something I've learned the past few years. Today, I'm talking to a wonderful person named Anna. I met her through a mutual friend and we've connected over the shared tragedy of losing a dear friend. She is also a certified death doula, which is extremely fascinating to learn about. I really enjoyed talking with her. I hope that you enjoy listening. I think I had a little bit, I noticed a little bit of apprehension for me in thinking about this conversation. And I think that it relates to the uniqueness of friend grief, but um, sort of this worry about talking about somebody else's story and it not being um, sort of your story to tell. There's that sort of anxiety there, but obviously I can speak to my experience around um, losing a friend and grieving a friend for sure. Yeah, I actually can really relate to what you just said about not feeling like it's your story to tell and like feeling a lot of anxiety and fear about that. I definitely felt the same way. And I think that because of that, I had trouble differentiating talking about my side of the story and like infringing on my friend's side of the story. And I just stayed quiet and like, was like, okay, if I'm just invisible, then it's okay. Then I'm not doing anything wrong. So, and that's like, that like poisons your soul, I think just staying so silent, um, at least for me. Um, So yeah, you don't have to like say your friend's identity or give like any details you don't want to give, but if you want to share your feelings and your experience, you know, you can, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Was there anything looking back that you wish you had access to or that you think would have been helpful for you to like navigate that really horrible experience um yeah I think we had you know a small conversation about this I lost a friend in college and um I actually felt that the institution that I was at did a really fantastic job of providing me and my friends with a lot of support that was really needed in that time first of all they gathered all of us that they knew were close friends with this person and told us that he had passed before they announced it to anyone else in the school, which I thought was really meaningful. I mean, it was like a Tuesday night at 10 p.m. and they called us to the um, spiritual center of the school and to, to let us know and to I mean, I think they even gave us like tea and coffee (laughs) and you know, they gave us food and they were, um, telling us that they were there for us, which 
I can imagine that a situation at a, you know, a larger school where we would have found out the way that everybody else found out in an email the next day, you know, and just had not heard from our friend. Um, so that was incredibly meaningful. And they also not only allowed us, but gave us support and resources to make a memorial for him um, at the school spiritual center. And, you know, it was like we were a little event planning committee. Like they had, they set up meetings for us to to gather together and talk about what was important for us to in designing this memorial and really gave us all of the tools that we needed and all of the space that we needed to make something that we thought was authentic representation of our like collecting collective grieving of our friend, um, you know, to the point where one of our friends read a poem and, you know, another person put up artwork that they had made. And we had a little tree that, um, I don't know where this idea came from, but I, I then used it again at my dad's funeral. Um, we had a little tree where there was ribbons and you could write little notes to our friend and tie them onto the tree. And then that stayed in the spiritual center for the rest of the year. So we could always go and visit this like tree that had everybody's notes and memories. Um, so honestly, when you ask that, what comes to mind is actually the resources that we did have um, at the time to help us through that. I think like ritual is really important. And, you know, I know for myself and uh, many of my friends, it wasn't very reasonable for us to be able to go to his funeral in, you know, the state that he was from, which was not where we were in school. <clears throat> and so in order like, to give us this opportunity to create something for ourselves that was representative of, you know, the person that we knew in college, which potentially would have been very different than, you know, the funeral that was put on for him in his hometown by his family. Like it allowed us to um, have a little bit more control over our own narrative of who he was, which I think is really powerful at that time, um, and emphasize the importance of grieving in a collective way and creating ritual and like marking a period of time as like something important having had happened, um, which I think facilitated like a lot of healing and a lot of support and conversation around campus, which I could imagine very easily not having had. Um, at a different kind of university. Wow, thank you so much for sharing. I do think ritual is so important and and sharing that ritual with other people too and other people who also knew that person makes such a big difference. Yeah, it's like something gets trapped if you're not able to have that release, I feel like, because, yeah, ceremony and ritual, you know, may not be for everyone, but at least from what I've experienced, it's incredibly important. And without it, it's just, it just like, it's almost like it didn't happen. And then you, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's like the trauma kind of like stays in the body and it just yeah, takes absolutely. a lot longer for it to make its way through. I mean, ritual like marks our movement from one time into another time, right? Like holidays mark our time from, this time of year moving into the next time of year like it signifies time moving it signifies a big change like 
I think I think a lot about the people who lost folks during COVID and still, you know, just sort of have stayed existing in this place that feels like nothing has changed, but everything has changed for them. I mean, obviously there is the dynamics of religion being tied to different people's ideas of what, you know, is an appropriate or meaningful thing to do when someone has passed. And, you know, ours was non-denominational, but I don't think that ritual has to be tied to religion. And I think it is mm-hmm. imperative to signify and display publicly like something major has changed in all of our lives. And we were in one place and now we're entering into a different place. We're entering into a time of grieving. That's a really beautiful way to put it. My brother had a theory about grief and, you know, what it takes to process grief and then like move on from it. And his idea was that once you're able to integrate um, that event as a part of the story of your life, then you're able to move forward. And he's, he said that he thought unresolved trauma, things that keep us stuck in certain places are situations where we're unable to integrate an event with our story or our idea of what our life is. Um, and I think specifically with friends, that is harder because of what we talked about, like whose story is it? It feels sometimes inappropriate to, to think about things in that way. And it also sometimes is hard to come away with a clear story. Like, who was I to this person? Were, they were someone to me, but was that truly who they were? Because their family maybe sees them different. Other people see them different. They see this situation different. And I think it can cause more reason to be stuck. Like, you have more of an inability to integrate that story because the pieces aren't don't come together as easily, you know? And that's not to say people have complicated relationships with family members, but yeah, we have really more clear channels to understand how to grieve family members and how to integrate that into our life story than we do friends, I think. I have felt that truth inside of me, but I haven't been able to like articulate it. So I'm just like, Oh man, yes, I totally agree. (laughs) And it just makes me think of how like, so my friend passed away five years ago. I would say it wasn't until a year ago that I was really able to even begin to do what you said, integrate it into my life story. Um, And one of the things I really struggled with for years was I was like, what were we to each other? And Mm. I felt like I needed a label. And it's like, why? I don't even know why I needed a label, but I was like, were we best friends? Were we, you know, was she my best friend, but I wasn't her best friend because we never actually officially labeled it. Uh, And like, just what did best friend mean to her? Is best friend to her mm. one person or is it like a category? Because to me, it's a category. And then I was like, oh my gosh, what if to her it's a person and I wasn't her person, but I was still like a close friend, but maybe she saw me more as a childhood friend from the past and not so much currently. And then maybe I saw her more currently than she did me. And I would just, it like, I was just like obsessing. Like it was just this merry-go-round of like, thoughts of me just trying to make sense of it like I just needed it to make sense because if it didn't make sense like yeah you can't like move forward absolutely I feel that something that I feel like I 
have definitely seen from people grieving friends before is this fixation on wanting to know for sure like what you meant to that person which I think is really interesting clearly it feels like an important thing for us to feel that to know how that person who was gone felt about us in order to understand how we should grieve I heard this quote somewhere that grieving is having love that has nowhere to go Mm. or it feels like it has nowhere to go and love feels most full when it's being reciprocated or when you're able to have a back and forth with someone that you love and when they pass away it's really only one way and so it's like in a way you feel the need to like be reassured that they did love you they did have love for you in order to feel that you're not like all alone in your love for them I think also if we think about it in the context, again, of having control over a story that fits into our life, you know, your concentration on the definition of what type of friends you guys were together, maybe it feels a little bit in that situation, like if you can just define all of that, as you said, like put it in the box, then you'll have the story, you know, you'll have the clear story that you can then put into your life. When, when you're unsure of what the relationship was, that story is unfinished. It's unclear. You don't have control over what you understand has happened, has having happened, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it helped for me when my friend passed that I had this like sort of pretty clear cut friend group and, and there was no question that this was something that affected all of us. And we kind of had an understanding of obviously we all had our own relationship with him but like we all had a baseline understanding of our relationships and how they formed and how strong they were and the conditions under which they happened but you know I also look back on it and I'm like this was a college friendship and I really only knew him for less than two years and for half of it not half of it but I knew him freshman year and then fall semester sophomore year he was in rehab so he wasn't even in school and then he came back to school so you know we talked about him mostly talked to him a little bit during that time but I look back on it and I think wow like you know how much did I know this person I think more profoundly for me this struggle after this friend passed because he struggled with um addiction the thing that I really had to work through was that i felt like I had already lost him and I felt like we had a pretty rocky relationship at the end end of his life because we were involved in him battling this addiction and there was a lot of fighting and and also a lot of him going on vendors and and there were situations a lot of situations near the end of his life that I felt like I wasn't even talking to him or that you know so there was already like a few months where I had felt like I lost him as a friend. And then I actually did lose him. Um, Our relationship changed obviously like a lot through that time period. And so while I had this, you know, community around me that was experiencing the same thing and it helped define who I felt like I was to him and who he was to me, what I really struggled with was um, the ways that, 
our relationship had changed and my feelings towards him had changed in the last, you know, month or so of his life. That was really hard. That is really hard. Yeah, and I know that people, I know people experience that sort of thing, both when they have someone that they've lost to addiction or suicide, but also, you know, people that they lose to dementia or to sort of prolonged health issues. It complicates your relationship with that person. It changes, you know, if they have memory issues, many people feel like they've lost that person before they're actually gone. And yeah, that was a hard thing for me. I think that was the hardest thing for me to process in the months after he died. I had a lot of dreams about it. Do you have grief dreams? Oh, wow. I did, yeah. Do you want to share any of yours? You don't have to. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember a lot of them now, like specifically, but I remember many of them were about um, me trying to save him in some way, that he was like sick and I needed to, to get to a place where he was. Or um, I did also have a dream where he had died and I had been the one who had killed him and I was hiding it from friends. Oh my Um, gosh. That was probably the most intense one. Wow, yeah. I can absolutely relate to having super intense dreams. Definitely more in the beginning, more so than now, but... Uh, a few that I remember were she wouldn't like know who I was or like I would run into her at the summer camp in my dream and I'd be like oh my god like you're alive and just be so relieved and then I would like be getting ready to hug her and she would just be like who are you like get away from me and just my heart would just like break to a million pieces. Oh, that's really, really intense. Yeah. A lot, mostly stuff like that. Cause there's another one where she was like walking through her funeral and I was mm. like, Oh, you're alive. And it was like, she had faked her death. And I was so mad at her <laughs> for doing that. Like, why would you do that? Like we were all so devastated. Wow. And then she, was like again like kind of trying to get rid of me like get away from me and like kind of ran off and then there was one other one where uh so I played the trumpet um and we met at a music camp and there was a dream where taps was playing like a trumpet was playing taps Mm -hmm. and it was the most beautiful taps I'd ever heard I mean like I was like, oh my God, like I've never heard of taps like that. So beautiful. And then I woke up and kind of had the realization that my mind played that taps because it was in my dream. So like in a weird way, I was able to play taps for her because Mm. I don't play trumpet anymore. So in real life, I can't play taps for her. But in my dream, I was able to. Yeah. Do you feel like you ever had a dream you know I I relate a lot to those dreams where you see somebody and you think you're you know you're not here you died or um 
I think both with my friend and when my dad died, I would have dreams where they were sort of sick or they were like zombies or, you know, some not really very real versions of themselves. And in my dream, I, I could think very clearly, like, this isn't you, you know, you've died, you're, you're not here. Have you ever had any dreams where you didn't feel that way, where you were like looking at the, your friend who you've lost or you're with your friend who you've lost and you thought you're really here? I think I usually feel the second one where I'm just like, oh, my God, you're alive. It was I knew it was all a misunderstanding (laughs) just because I want that to be true so badly, Mm -hmm. of course. Um, And the only situation where I can play that out is in my dreams. Yeah. Um, But what about you? Do do you experience the. I I just had. Well, definitely with my friends. I had a lot of stress dreams. I mean, I think. There were many months after that death and, and, you know, to this point of this conversation, I think there were a lot of complicated things to process with losing a friend and not as many outlets, Um, especially it being so sudden and it being very traumatic after many months of him dealing with these issues. Uh, And I mostly had stress dreams where I would see him and I'd think like, you're not here. If he was sick, I would uh, have to go run and find him somewhere but after my dad died I had I had a lot of stress dreams and then I had a lot of just weird dreams where he would show up places and I would be like this is not you and then I had one dream where like a few months after he died where he a lot of my dreams are really specific and were in places that I recognize and were doing something very specific and in this dream we were just sitting in like a white room we were just like in blank space I mean I wouldn't even call it room we were like in whiteness and he was just sitting next to me and he showed me his forearm and my forearm is where I have a tattoo that I got for him he showed me his forearm and he had a tattoo on it and I showed him my forearm and it was a matching tattoo and in my mind I was kind of like he's showing me that he like saw me that I got this tattoo and then I started crying and like hugging him because I was like, you have, you're going to leave again and I, I don't want you to leave. And he just looked at me and he said, I don't want to see you like this. And that was the dream. And afterwards, like that was the end of this period of my grief where I was really like, you know, that time period where you're just like panic cries. It feels like it's just moving through your body. Like something needs to release and you can't do anything about it. And it just hits you out of nowhere. This was like really the end of that time period for me. And I felt really different afterwards. Wow. That's so, that's so moving. I call it like my turning point, my turning point dream. And I like really feel like it felt super different all of a sudden. Like I definitely felt like he was there. Oh, that's so that's so special. Thank you for sharing that. It made me cry. <laughs> the funny thing is my dad hated tattoos. So I do feel like he would be okay with the tattoo. He'd be touched that I got a tattoo for him. But now I have more tattoos and I can just see him going, but we're done, right? Like, we're done. <laughs> like, this is enough. <laughs> oh, and he got a matching one. Oh, my heart. <laughs> And it's fun. I feel much more comfortable talking about grieving my dad because I don't feel like I'm stepping on anyone's toes. You know, it feels like 
my grief. It feels like something that I own. I'm the only one who's able to talk about it. I, ha- I feel like I have the right to talk about it. And it's funny that I, I don't necessarily feel that way about my friend. I feel the same way and I'm trying to figure out what that is because it does make sense that, you know, we want to be sensitive of their family, but also, I don't know. I I just, I wish we could find a happy medium because it's just like, we also loved that person, you know? And yeah, it's hard. It's, it's hard to know um, what you can say and... I really, really struggled about that, and I don't remember if I told you, actually, but I'm writing a a book. Mm -hmm. Did I tell you that? I think you did, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm writing a memoir, and, like, I was just like, can I write this stuff? Like, am I, is this my story to tell? Even though, of course, it's my perspective, but still, and I'm still, like, figuring those feelings out, but then I was like, okay, I'm not publishing it yet I can write it because that even the act of writing it is healing yeah and it's like I'll worry later (laughs) about what to take out (laughs) you know like uh, but first I need to like get it out no I think that's a good choice (laughs) because I wasn't even letting myself put it on the page for myself as if like it was immediately being like broadcast to the world which like (laughs) it was like oh yeah no one's reading it yet it is not (laughs) yeah (laughs) I'm clearly also trying to understand you know those boundaries and what we're putting up for ourselves I mean when I think about it I know that you said that you didn't really have like a group around you at the time to process these feelings I feel very lucky that I did but when I think about it and maybe this is just my perspective but it does feel like it was a very it was when we do talk about it, it's done in a very private and quiet way, you know? And I do feel like that is in some way our attempts to acknowledge that like, yes, we experienced a loss. It's nothing close to the Mm -hmm. loss of Mm -hmm. his family, you know, the people who he grew up with to have lost this person. And not even, you know, they were far away. They were in college. They weren't even... Mm -hmm home I feel like there is a way in which we talk about our grief that is very small and quiet yes because it feels more appropriate I don't know yeah I'd be really curious as you continue to talk to people like if this is something that keeps coming up I'm so glad you brought that up because I have experienced that as well we should also be able to express the depth of our grief Because it doesn't, grief doesn't cancel out grief, you know? It's not a competition. It's not like um, if I grieve that it's taking anything away from other people. I don't think. I think maybe some people feel that way, but. At times, I have been the person who feels like a little protective of the story or of my grief as being one thing and feeling as if somebody else's presentation of that threatens my story maybe my story or my grief and it's a terribly yucky feeling like everybody has the right to feel what they feel everyone has the right to grieve in whatever way you know they need to and everyone had their own relationship to people and that has naturally come up for me a couple of times 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it is good to hear that pers- other perspective and it totally makes sense. When you described it, I was able to like put my feet in those shoes <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I think I would probably feel the same way. So I guess that just means like our fear is not unfounded. Yes. <laughs> we don't want to like hurt anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I guess my hope is that there's some way to be able to fully express ourselves and not infringe on their grief yeah, in a respectful way. I don't know what that is. We're figuring it out. We're here figuring yeah, it out. Yeah, we're figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think because I was so terrified of that, I, like I said, stayed very, very silent um, for the most part, I think. I mean, I would like post on Facebook sometimes, but I felt like I was being silent. Mm. The social media optics of losing someone is also a very interesting road to go down. The like intricacies of people making posts or posting on somebody's wall and the like displaying of grief in a social media sphere is super interesting. I haven't thought about that in a little while. Yeah, and honestly, that was the only way I was really able to publicly grieve. Mm. Because first of all, I found out on Facebook it was her birthday. I posted happy birthday on her wall. And then I scrolled down to see the other happy birthday posts, but I just saw rest in peace. Oh my gosh. That is such a terribly shocking way to find out that you've lost somebody. I'm so sorry. Yeah, thank you. It was incredibly shocking. So it's almost in a weird way, the whole thing happened on Facebook. Wow. Because I found out on Facebook, I was able to like talk to her mom through Facebook. I would post on her Facebook wall like more frequently in the beginning and then now like on her birthday every year. When I think about it, I don't even know where else I would publicly grieve. I honestly don't know. That's kind of the only place I've found. Yeah. I mean, I think people, there are some people who can be sort of judgmental of the ways that people display grief on social media, but you're Mm -hmm. so right. It is like the, it it is the space that we function in almost all day, every day. And Mm -hmm. I think grieving publicly is some, an, an important aspect of grief because you're carrying pain around with you and you need people to know that in some to some degree like you need some acknowledgement of that and yeah and social media also is a place that we know how to connect with other people like it is the place Mm -hmm. that we go to find other people who we may not know but who have same interests or same you know friends you know why would we look upon Facebook as like a strange place to to work through grief also. I mean, it's where we do everything else. Yeah, that's so true. And it's, I'm glad I have that, but on its own, it's not enough. Yeah. And it's like, that kind of was mostly all I had. Yeah. Other than just like going to therapy and like talking to my therapist. (laughs) So I would like tell the ethos on Facebook and I would tell my therapist. And then I would like not really bring it up to my family because how does that even come up naturally? You know, it's like I would have to bring it up basically because they're doing what makes sense. And what I also do is to like, you don't want to bring it up if they don't want to talk about it. So I'm going to wait for them to bring it up kind of thing. 
Yeah. And then when am I going to bring it up? I'm not going to be like, can y'all like listen to me tell you how I'm really sad? I mean, I, I could do that, but like I didn't really know how. So it just very rarely came up to the point where it was almost like kind of like it didn't happen. Which sucks because then it's like, I'm vastly different. Like you were saying earlier, like this huge thing has happened. I'm not the same person. And yet my surroundings are the same. Oh, yeah. That's the worst. It's terrible. In the Jewish culture, there is a tradition of wearing a piece of cloth that has been ripped on your clothing, like during the mourning period. And my understanding is that the amount of like that time is different based on your relationship to the person but it's like a public signal to other people that you're walking around with a part of you that is broken or lost because you've lost somebody and I I just really love that idea because it does sometimes feel like especially in those like first few weeks or months after you've lost someone really important you're like I'm just walking around and people are looking at me as if I'm a normal person but I'm like carrying this huge hole inside of me now mm-hmm. and the fact that other people don't know that that is with me constantly is a barrier to connection you know absolutely I love that I wish that we I wish we did something like that like just in mainstream society but our society when I say our society I'm, I think I'm just thinking of western society in general yeah. is like very terrified of death is kind of like, you know, take two sick days and, you know, cry and then come back to work. Or I'm totally generalizing here, of course, but like, <laughs> just... No, I totally agree. It's just, yeah, very like, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps pretty quickly and get back to it and just like try to act as normal as possible. Yeah, people are really uncomfortable with grief because we're uncomfortable with death. And, you know, we don't know how to be around people who are sad because it makes us sad and makes us feel closer to death or like people around us could be closer to death and it sucks (laughs) to put it plainly I think it sucks it does suck I don't know if you've heard about uh an author her name's Megan Devine and she wrote this book called it's okay that you're not okay oh yeah I actually do have that book um I haven't read it actually I read one chapter, and this is very representative of, like, the way that I have been grieving, but there's one chapter on grief and the body and, like, chronic pain that I read that I thought was really, really interesting, and it was sort of about how common it is for people to develop, like, mysterious chronic pain or illnesses after losing somebody. She has this group called Refuge and Grief, I believe. And she has talked about how so many people want to fix you. Like you're sad and they want to make you feel better. But like that makes you feel so much worse because what we really need when you're grieving or this can apply to like a lot of negative emotions is you need just someone to acknowledge that you're sad and like just be there you know I did the that death doula training and you know, I swear like half of it was you know training on how to talk to people and listen and not provide answers and it was the hardest 
thing to learn and I feel like I'm really sensitive to that now but I still do it all the time it is such a deeply ingrained desire to like provide somebody with answers to fix their problem um it's really hard to just listen and to say wow that's powerful that sounds really difficult I'm sorry that you're feeling sad mm-hmm. you know I'm here for you <laughs> yeah it doesn't even feel full you know but it is did death doula training uh do you want to tell me a little bit about what that is I think it's fascinating yes I did a 30 hour I believe or 33 hour training with Inelda the international end of life doula association um to become a certified end of life or death doula people call it a death midwife because the death doula movement comes from the birthing doula movement which was this movement in i believe the 60s or 70s um that was a backlash against this like over medicalization of the birthing process and like a deprioritization of the mother's well-being and control over the situation somebody years later took the same model and applied it to death and dying situations and so the idea of a death doula is somebody who is sort of a spiritual support truly they're there to work with a dying person and their family to understand what that person believes a good death for themselves and for their family would mean and help them execute that as much as they can working both in like what legacy means for them and what kind of legacy they would like to leave behind and then planning the things that they believe that they can have control over. And for some people who have a long-term diagnosis, that means that you might be able to plan the diet, like active dying and vigil process to be able to say, I want people to interact with me in this way. I want people to talk to me about the fact that I'm dying. I don't want people to talk to me about the fact that I'm dying. I want to be at home and I want my room to smell like this and I want there to be music all the time. I want people to come in and come out and be boisterous and louder. I want people to only come in with quiet, you know, respectful energy of this, what is going on, which in turn creates or bolsters a legacy for somebody. If your family can see that you have control over this process for yourself. Um, And sometimes even helping them plan a funeral for themselves or what they would like after they've died, how how they would like people to interact with their body. And then a little bit of grief work with the family, um, the way that they describe it as the doula's role in grief work is helping the family integrate their experience like into their lives and work through any parts of the experience that felt like uh, it didn't go the way that they wanted it to. It was a very interesting training and experience. A lot of it was having us role play as dying people and imagine what we would want and actually act as somebody who like actually not somebody act as ourselves who have been given like a three month or a six month diagnosis being asked those questions and being asked about you know what we would want and what we want our life to represent and um it really 
it was really powerful in thinking about like what things actually matter in your life you know yeah <laughs> um to be asked as like a 25 year old you know if you were given a life-threatening diagnosis and told that you had three months to live like what are the things that are really important to you to have in these next three months and how would you want that to go that's it an incredibly powerful conversation to have yeah and you know 25 year olds do get life-threatening diagnosis we just don't ever think about it wow that's incredibly powerful and I did not know that death doulas existed until I met you and I just think it's it's so wonderful and I hope that people become more aware of it I I think that like as a culture we are going to be I think we're in the process of rethinking the way that we approach death and dying and aging and I think COVID definitely bolstered that and our parents generation the boomer generation so to speak is about to be sort of watching their parents passing and I think a lot of them are going to say like that's not what I want I don't want that for myself you know I want to have control um over a lot more and I want to talk I want to talk about and think about and process my life absolutely Wow. So where would, if someone was interested in finding a death doula, how would they go about that? Do you have a recommendation or? Yes, there is a registry on Imelda's website, I-N-E-L-D-A, or International End of Life Doula Association. Um, You can go to their website and look for the doula registry and everyone who has taken the course is listed there so I am listed there um you can filter by state and location so there's a certain category of doula on there that has been doing this for a specific amount of time um and a lot of those people will have websites so you can go to the websites and see people have different specialties you know I know that there's a lot of doulas right now just working on grief work and working with people who lost folks during the pandemic and didn't have a chance to work with a doula or, um, you know, have space to properly grieve. And so there are doulas who just work in grief work. And then there are doulas who, you know, just work on legacy projects. You can contact someone to just do sort of a few processing sessions and create something with someone who has been given a diagnosis, even if, you know, their diagnosis is like, you know, you maybe have a year or two left. There are people who can just sit down with your family and talk about what that person would like their legacy to be and what executing that could look like. So there's a wide variety of ways that death doulas work with people. And there's a lot of people registered on this website. I'm sure that in most major cities, you'll find someone on that registry. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm sure there's someone who yeah. who would be interested in that resource. Absolutely. I think that this is a really rich subject area. I think that there's a lot of nuances to grieving a friend. And I'm so glad that you are hoping to actively create a space where people can talk about it. Thanks for listening. Friends Missing Friends is produced by me, Hannah Rumsey, and co-produced by Eric Siegling. Sound engineering and original music is also by Eric Siegling. Artwork is by Heidi James. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
together we can cherish and remember the friends we miss. See you next time. Thank you.